Section 5 of Tales of Daring and Danger by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 5 White Faced Dick A Story of Pine Tree Gulch. How Pine Tree Gulch got its name, no one knew. For in the early days, every ravine and hillside was thickly covered with pines. It may be that a tree of exceptional size caught the eye of the first explorer that he camped under it and named the place in its honor. Or maybe some fallen giant lay at the bottom and hindered the work of the first prospectors. At any rate, Pine Tree Gulch it was, and the name was as good as any other. The pine trees are gone now, cut up for firing or for the erection of huts or the construction of sluices, but the hillside was ragged with their stumps. The principal camp was at the mouth of the gulch, where the little stream, which scarce afforded water sufficient for the cradles in a dry season, but which was a rushing torrent in the winter, joined the Yuba. The best ground was at the junction of the streams, and lay, indeed, in the Yuba Valley rather than in the gulch. At first most gold had been found higher up, but there was here comparatively little depth down to the bedrock, and as the ground became exhausted the miners moved down towards the mouth of the gulch. They were doing well as a whole. How well, no one knew, for miners are cherry of giving information as to what they're making. Still, it was certain that they were doing well, for the bars were doing a roaring trade, and the storekeepers never refused credit, a proof in itself that the prospects were good. A flat at the mouth of the gulch was a busy scene. Every foot was good-paying stuff, for in the eddy, where the torrents in the winter rushed down into the Yuba, the gold had settled down and lay thick among the gravel. But most of the parties were sinking, and it was a long way down to the bedrock, for the hills on both sides sloped steeply, and the Yuba must here at one time have rushed through a narrow gorge, until in some wild freak it brought down millions of tons of gravel and resumed its course seventy feet above its former level. A quarter of a mile higher up a ledge of rock ran across the valley, and over it in the old time the Yuba had poured in a cascade seventy feet deep into the ravine. But the rock now was level with the gravel, only showing its jagged points here and there above it. This ledge had been invaluable to the diggers. Without it, they could only have sunk their shafts with the greatest difficulty, for the gravel would have been full of water, and even with the greatest pains in puddling and timber work, the pumps would scarcely have sufficed to keep it down as it rose in the bottom of the shafts. But the miners had made common cause together, and giving each so many ounces of gold or so many days' work had erected a dam thirty feet high along the ledge of rock, and had cut a channel for the Yuba along the lower slopes of the valley. Of course, when the rain set in, as everybody knew, the dam would go, and the river diggings must be abandoned till the water subsided and a fresh dam was made. But there were two months before them yet and everyone hoped to be down to the bedrock before the water interrupted their work. The hillside, both in the Yuba Valley and for some distance along Pine Tree Gulch, was dotted by shanties and tents, the former constructed for the most part of logs roughly squared, the walls being some three feet in height, on which the sharp sloping roof was placed, thatched in the first place with boughs, and made all snug perhaps with an old sail stretched over all. The camp was quiet enough during the day. A few women were away with their washing at the pools a quarter of a mile up the gulch. 
and the only persons to be seen about were the men told off for cooking for their respective parties. But in the evening the camp was lively. Groups of men in red shirts and corded trousers tied at the knee and in high boots sat around blazing fires and talked of their prospects or discussed the news of the luck at other camps. The sound of music came from two or three plank erections, which rose conspicuously above the huts of the diggers, and were bright externally with the glories of white and colored paints. To and from these men were always sauntering, and it needed not the clink of glasses and the sound of music to tell that they were the bars of the camp. Here, standing at the counter or seated at numerous small tables, men were drinking villainous liquor, smoking and talking, and paying but scant attention to the strains of the fiddle or the accordion, save when some well-known air was played, when all would join in a boisterous chorus. Some were always passing in and out of a door which led to a room behind. Here there was comparative quiet, for men were gambling and gambling high. Going backwards and forwards with liquors into the gambling room of the Imperial Saloon, which stood just where Pine Tree Gulch opened into Yuba Valley, was a lad whose appearance had earned for him the name of White Face Dick. White Face Dick was not one of those who had done well at Pine Tree Gulch. He had come across the plains with his father, who had died when halfway over, and Dick had been thrown on the world to shift for himself. Nature had not intended him for the work, for he was a delicate, timid lad. What spirits he originally had having been years before beaten out of him by a brutal father. So far, indeed, Dick was the better rather than the worse for the event which had left him an orphan. They had been traveling with a large party for mutual security against Indians and Mormons, and so long as the journey lasted, Dick had got on fairly well. He was always ready to do odd jobs, and as the draft cattle were growing weaker and weaker and every pound of weight was of importance, no one grudged him his rations in return for his services. But when the company began to descend the slopes of the Sierra Nevada, they began to break up, going off by twos and threes to the diggings, of which they heard such glowing accounts. Some, however, kept straight on to Sacramento, determining there to obtain news as to the doings of all the different places, and then to choose that which seemed to offer the best prospects of success. Dick proceeded with them to the town, and there found himself alone. His companions were absorbed in the busy rush of population, and each had so much to provide and arrange for that none gave a thought to the solitary boy, However, at that time no one who had a pair of hands, however feeble, to work need starve in Sacramento. And for some weeks Dick hung around the town doing odd jobs, and then, having saved a few dollars, determined to try his luck at the diggings, and started on foot with a shovel on his shoulder and a few days' provisions slung across it. Arrived at his destination, the lad soon discovered that gold digging was hard work for brawny and seasoned men, and after a few feeble attempts and spots abandoned as worthless, he gave up the effort, and again began to drift. And even in Pine Tree Gulch it was not difficult to get a living. At first he tried rocking cradles, but the work was far harder than it appeared. He was standing ankle-deep in water from morning till night, and his cheeks grew paler, and his strength, instead of increasing, seemed to fade away. Still there were jobs within his strength, he could keep a fire alight and watch a cooking pot. He could carry up buckets of water or wash a flannel shirt. And so he struggled on, until at last some kind-hearted man suggested to him that he should try to get a place at the new saloon which was about to be opened. 
"'You're not fit for this work, young'un, "'and you ought to be at home with your mother. "'If you like, I'll go up with you this evening to Jeffrey's. "'I knew him down on the flats, "'and I dare say he'll take you on. "'But I don't say as a saloon is a good place for a boy. "'Still, you'll always get your belly full of vittles "'and a dry place to sleep in if it's only under a table. "'What do you say?' "'Dick thankfully accepted the offer, "'and on Red George's recommendation was that evening engaged. "'His work was not hard now.' for till the miners knocked off there was little doing in the saloon. A few men would come in for a drink at dinner time, but it was not until the lamps were lit that business began in earnest, and then for four or five hours Dick was busy. A rougher or healthier lad would not have minded the work, but to Dick it was torture. Every nerve in his body thrilled whenever rough miners cursed him for not carrying out their orders more quickly or for bringing them the wrong liquors which, as his brain was in a whirl with the noise, the shouting, and the multiplicity of orders, happened frequently. He might have fared worse had not Red George always stood his friend, and Red George was an authority on Pine Tree Gulch. Powerful in frame, reckless in bearing and temper, he had been in a score of fights and had come off them, if not unscathed, at least victorious. He was notoriously a lucky digger, but his earnings went as fast as they were made, and he was always ready to open his belt and give a bountiful pinch of dust to any mate down on his luck. One evening Dick was more helpless and confused than usual. The saloon was full, and he had been shouted at and badgered and cursed till he scarcely knew what he was doing. High play was going on in the saloon, and a good many men were clustered round the table. Red George was having a run of luck, and there was a big pile of gold dust on the table before him. One of the gamblers who was losing had ordered old rye, and instead of bringing it to him, Dick brought a tumbler of hot liquor which someone else had called for. With an oath, the man took it up and threw it in his face. "'You cowardly hound!' Red George exclaimed. "'Are you man enough to do that to a man?' "'You bet,' the gambler, who was a new rival at Pine Tree Gulch, replied, and picking up an empty glass he hurled it at Red George." The bystanders sprang aside, and in a moment the two men were facing each other with outstretched pistols. The two reports rung out simultaneously. Red George sat down unconcernedly with a streak of blood flowing down his face, where the bullet had cut a furrow in his cheek. The stranger fell back with a bullet hole in the center of his forehead. The body was carried outside, and the play continued as if no interruption had taken place. They were accustomed to such occurrences at Pine Tree Gulch, and the piece of ground at the top of the hill that had been set aside as a burial place was already dotted thickly with graves, filled in almost every instance by men who had died, in the local phraseology, with their boots on. Neither then nor afterwards did Red George allude to the subject to Dick, whose life after this signal instance of his championship was easier than it had hitherto been, for there were few in Pine Tree Gulch who cared to excite Red George's anger, and strangers going to the place were sure to receive a friendly warning that it was best for their health to keep their tempers over any shortcomings on the part of white-faced Dick. Grateful as he was for Red George's interference on his behalf, Dick felt the circumstance which had ensued more than anyone else in the camp. With others it was the subject of five minutes' talk, but Dick could not get out of his head the thought of the dead man's face as he fell back. He had seen many such phrase before, but he was too full of his own troubles for them to make much of an impression upon him. 
but in the present case he felt as if he himself was responsible for the death of the gambler. If he had not blundered, this would not have happened. He wondered whether the dead man had a wife and children, and if so, were they expecting his return? Would they ever hear where he had died, and how? But this feeling, which, tired out as he was when the time came for closing the bar, often prevented him from sleeping for hours, in no way lessened his gratitude and devotion towards Red George, and he felt that he could die willingly if his life would benefit his champion. Sometimes he thought, too, that his life would not be much to give, for in spite of shelter and food the cough which he had caught while working in the water still clung to him, and, as his employer said to him angrily one day, "'Your vittles don't do you no good, Dick. You get thinner and thinner. The folks will think I starve you. Darn if you ain't a disgrace to the establishment.' The wind was whistling down the gorges, and the clouds hung among the pine woods where still clothed the upper slopes of the hills, and the diggers, as they turned out one morning, looked up apprehensively. "'But it couldn't be,' they assured each other. Everyone knew that the rains were not due for another month yet, and it could only be a passing shower if it rained at all. But as the morning went on, men came in from camps higher up the river, and reports were current that it had been raining for the last two days among the upper hills, while those who took trouble to walk across to the new channel could see for themselves at noon that it was filled very nigh to the brim, the water rushing along with thick and turbid current. But those who repeated the rumors, or who reported that the channel was full, were summarily put down. Men would not believe such a calamity as a flood and the destruction of all their season's work could be impending. There had been some showers, no doubt, as there had often been before, but it was ridiculous to talk of anything like rain a month before its time. Still, in spite of these assertions, there was uneasiness at Pine Tree Gulch, and men looked at the driving clouds above and shook their heads before they went down to the shafts to work after dinner. When the last customer had left and the bar was closed, Dick had nothing to do until evening, and he wandered outside and sat down on a stump, at first looking at the work going on in the valley, then so absorbed in his own thoughts that he noticed nothing, not even a driving mist which presently set in. He was calculating that he had, with his savings from his wages, and what had been given him by the miners, laid by eighty dollars. When he got another hundred and twenty, he would go. He would make his way down to San Francisco, and then by ship to Panama, and up to New York, and then west again to the village where he was born. There would be people there who would know him, and who would give him work for his mother's sake. He did not care what it was. Anything would be better than this. Then his thoughts came back to Pine Tree Gulch, and he started to his feet. Could he be mistaken? Were his eyes deceiving him? No. Among the stones and boulders of the old bed of the Yuba, there was a gleam of water, and even as he watched, he could see it widening out. He started to run down the hill to give alarm, but before he was halfway, he paused, for there were loud shouts, and a scene of bustle and confusion instantly arose. The cradles were deserted, and men working in the surface loaded themselves with their tools and made for the high ground, while those at the windlass worked their hardest to draw up their comrades below. A man coming down from above stopped close to Dick, with a low cry, and stood gazing with a white, scared face. Dick had worked with him, and he was one of the company to which Red George belonged. "'What is it, Saunders?' "'My God, they're lost!' the man replied. 
was at the windlass when they shouted up to me to get up and fetch him a bottle of rum they had just struck it rich and wanted a drink on the strength of it dick understood at once red george and his mates were still at the bottom of the shaft ignorant of the danger which was threatening them come on he cried we'll be in time yet and at the top of his speed dashed down the hill followed by saunders what is it what is it asked parties of men mounting the hill red george's gang are still below dick's eyes were fixed on the water there was a broad band now of yellow with a white edge down the centre of the stony flat and it was widening with terrible rapidity it was scarcely ten yards from the windlass at the top of red george's shaft when dick followed closely by saunders reached it come up mates quick for your lives the river is rising you'll be flooded out directly everyone else is gone as he spoke he pulled at the rope by which the bucket was hanging and the handles of the windlass flew round rapidly as it descended when it had run out dick and he grasped the handles all right below an answering call came up and the two began their work throwing their whole strength into it quickly as the windlass revolved it seemed an endless time to dick before the bucket came up and the first man stepped out it was not red george dick had hardly expected it would be red george would be sure to see his two mates up before him and the man uttered a cry of alarm as he saw the water now within a few feet of the mouth of the shaft it was a torrent now for not only was it coming through the dam but it was rushing down in cascades from the new channel without a word the miner placed himself facing dick and the moment the bucket was down again the three grasped the handles but quickly as they worked the edge of the water was within a few inches of the shaft when the next man reached the surface but again the bucket descended before the rope tightened however the water had begun to run over the lip and at first a mere trickle and then almost instantaneously in a cascade which grew larger and larger the bucket was halfway up when the sound of thunder was heard and the ground seemed to tremble under their feet and then at the turn of the valley above a great wave of yellow water crusted with foam was seen tearing along at the speed of a racehorse the dam is burst saunders shouted run for your lives or we're all lost the three men dropped the handles and ran full speed towards the shore while loud shouts to dick to follow came from a crowd of men standing on the slope but the boys still grasped the handles and with lips tightly closed still toiled on slowly the bucket ascended for red george was a heavy man then suddenly the weight slackened and the handle went round faster the shaft was filling and the water had reached the bucket and had risen to red george's neck so that his weight was no longer on the rope so fast did the water pour in that it was not half a minute before the bucket reached the surface and red george sprang out there was but time for one exclamation and then the great wave struck them red george was whirled like a straw in the current but he was a strong swimmer and at a point where the valley widened out half a mile lower he struggled to shore two days later news reached pine tree gulch that a boy's body had been washed ashore twenty miles down and ten men headed by red george went and brought it solemnly back to pine tree gulch there among the stumps of pine trees a grave was dug and there in the presence of the whole camp white-faced dick was laid to rest pine tree gulch is a solitude now the trees are growing again and none would dream that it was once a busy scene of industry but if a traveler searches among the pine trees he will find a stone with the words 
Here lies white-faced Dick, who died to save Red George. What can a man do more than give his life for a friend? The text was the suggestion of an ex-clergyman working as a miner in Pine Tree Gulch. Red George worked no more at the diggings, but after seeing the stone laid in its place, went east, and with what little money came to him when the common fund of the company was divided after the flood on the Yuba, bought a small farm and settled down there. But to the end of his life he was never weary of telling those who would listen to it the story of Pine Tree Gulch. End of section 5